once again the horror of the tales. Before we begin, could I just ask that you uh, give the video a like and uh, share around your networks just to help give our friends a little bit more exposure. Uh, it's always greatly appreciated. And uh, today's episode is a short story featured in the anthology Collective Darkness. The author is not only submitting the story, which is also the uh, publisher uh, responsible for creating the anthology, so uh, you get a chance to just have a look at it, uh, well worth the read. And uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Into the Dark by Elizabeth Suggs. Emma stands at the door to the psych ward's visitor centre. She holds up an old college photo of her interviewee, one she received from his mother. She had photographs from his court hearing, but it was this photo that his mother forced upon her, told her to see him decent because that's what he was. This sentence was just a misunderstanding, she was sure, but the old woman was a fool to think Emma can change anything. It's just a story. She takes another step and spots her target. Sitting in the darkest corner is a man somewhere in his mid-thirties. Once attractive, insanity and sleepless nights have stripped that away. He hides his hideousness under a long brown beard, bespeckled with grey. Hello, Emma says, hiding her own ease. She sits in a chair beside him, her overpriced skirt riding up past her knees. She attempts to put it down, but it rides up again. Ignoring it, she pulls out her notepad. She reaches for a pencil from behind her ear and lets her golden hair flop over. She forces a smile. Hello, he says back. His eyes are a shocking bright green. Please have a cup of tea. He gestures to a filled cup and takes a sip of his own. A smile twitches on his face. Then he looks behind them to a group of individuals huddled in a corner. The group of six entertain themselves with the movie. A white-haired man in the group glances over and sneers at Clyde. The man was just one of many who detests Clyde, Emma realises. This man sitting before her is like a plague, a dark spot in the ward, and none are eager to get close. You don't seem very popular here. He glances over to the other residents, then back to her. Coffee drinkers. Oh, she says, and takes the cup. Her notepad crinkles against her bending body. My name is Emma. She pauses, taking a sip of tea. The bitterness puckers her lips. Tea oozes between her gums. I'm with the... He waves his hand away. His face grows sour. Who you work for doesn't matter. I'll tell you my story. I like the company. He flashes a look of disgust at the other residents, keeping their distance from him. You just have the promise not to interrupt. It started because of her, my wife. It's funny when I think back on it, she never did anything different. Whenever I came home, she left the room. If I said hello, her eyes flashed anywhere else. Yet that day, my mind full of gin and aching, I saw a laugh dance upon her lips. In that moment she was laughing at me, and I hated her with every fibre of my being, but it was all false, my imagination. If I'd been sober, I wouldn't have seen her joy, because it never would have been there, she never smiled. 
She'd stopped smiling years before, stopped laughing, stopped speaking. I had no one for our entire marriage. She was a block of stone, so it was too easy to give in to my desires, my rage. When I picked up the knife, she didn't say a word, nor did she look at me. It was just like her to pretend I didn't exist, but that thing was different. Neither I, nor the horrible pounding in my head, would let her forget who I was. I wanted her to know I was there. I needed her to know I was there. I bashed her head in with the handle of the knife to remind her I was there. I just wanted her to make some sound. Bash! One in her temple. Bash! Bash! Another in her eye and nose. Bash! Blood spilled everywhere. She grunted but never screamed, never pleaded for me to stop, just watched me, took the pain as if she knew all along where the silence would eventually lead us. The ugliness of her death wore on me, and rather than feel remorse, I hid her. I needed those all-knowing eyes, grey with death and lips once so pink turned blue hidden from my view, though to hide her was almost unnecessary. No one asked me about my wife, no one noticed. Before her death, she never left the house. She didn't have a job. Her parents were dead. She didn't speak to her siblings. It was too perfect. No one would ever have found out. If I hadn't made the call. Dialed 911. Listened to the person on the other end ask about my emergency. Don't even remember speaking. Telling them anything. My name. My address. Though I must have. Within minutes, there sat a car in my driveway. Blue and red lights flashed up through the front room's window and into the living room. I ran out the back door. The fear of punishment became the devil's fist clutching my heart, pulsating with each new bait. I sped my legs faster down the street. Maybe I was spotted. Maybe police asked my neighbours and found answers, though I doubted it. The night was dark. Not even the moon came out to spy at the ruckus. I ran until my lungs were about to burst. I bent over my knees to catch my breath. When I looked up, I saw a doorway bathed in blackness, a stark contrast to the brightly lit street and nearby homes. Without hesitation, I slipped inside and slammed the door shut, ensconced by protective darkness. I pressed my back against the door and drew in a breath. I allowed relief to sweep over me until something touched my arm. That something was sharp and dragged along my skin as if it were a nail. A nail ran up my body and purred with an animal's breath, hot and wet. Both breath and nail ran up my throat and stopped as light spilled over me. Blinking away the night blindness, I saw a feeble old man hunched over the doorway leading into the house. I stood in a garage that had been transformed into a room. A thin cot lay invitingly beside a few shelves. Some empty while others held knickknacks. Growls came from the corner. Somehow I knew whatever thing touched me now stirred from the shadows. Don't worry, said the old man. He won't come out in the light. I dared not to move for fear the lights would break and the beast would come out again, breathing down my neck. And who might you be? the old man asked. A wry smile spread between his cheeks. He tried lowering his hands, but 
but as if glued like chicken wings, they remained in their spots. He had just enough reach to wave me in. Come inside, he continued his back to me. Explain yourself over some tea. Tea tasted like the salt from my sweat, made in the midst of my most fiendish acts, the sweat which dropped off my brow, onto my lips, to kiss her blood. I looked down at my tea, stray leaves swirled around the cup, and for a moment I thought I saw myself with my wife reflected inside. But then her angular visage vanished. What's in this? I asked. Just a little something extra. Now tell me, what do you need? I'm desperate. The words leaked out before I had a chance to catch them. I saw an open door and took the opportunity. We sat at his kitchen table, neighbouring the closed garage door. I was across from the old man, watching him. He finished off the remains of his tea, then drew out his old weathered tongue and traced his mouth at the wrinkled flaps of skin. You should not always take the first open door you see, he cautioned. You won't always be lucky. I swallowed then looked up at the clock above our heads. It ticked, ticked, ticked away the time that I needed more of. How long would it take for the police to show up? To ask questions? Whether or not they'd searched the entire neighbourhood was beyond me. It was that foreboding fear that drove me back to ask my desperate words. Help me hide. Why should I help you? The old man asked near a laugh. Menace played around his eyes. He smiled. A trap had been set and I fell willingly inside. I can't offer much, but I can give you my service. Help me and I'll clean. I'll, I'll fix up your house. I'll... He held up a finger before I could finish and swept himself up from the table. His knobbly little joints jangled together as he walked. He made his way over to the drawer near his fridge and picked out a set of keys. He clanked and cracked his bones and sat back in his seat. He set the keys in front of me. I've needed help in the garage, he said. Help me with the beast and I'll help you hide. My cheeks flushed. Relief struck me dumb. It made me slump in my chair with my head over the still steaming tea. No longer did it smell like sweat from her death. Rather a strange something else. Something mossy. I could not place it. Tell me, uh, Mr... His voice shifted my attention. Clyde Collins. Lost in thought, he folded his fingers near his lips and pressed on wisps of facial hair. Frowning, he asked. Tell me, Clyde Collins, why do you need me to help you hide? I straightened up in my chair and picked up the set of keys. I ran my fingers along the teeth of an old copper key and flashed my eyes to his. The police think I killed my wife. Did you? he asked. I placed the keys back on the table, my fingers still at the teeth. Does it matter? I shot back. A smile leaked into the old man's features, carving deep wedges at the corner of his eyes. He laughed. No, I guess it doesn't. My name is Rolf. As if the conversation excited the beast, it growled and gnawed at the garage door. Sharp claws tore at corners, broke up boards, but never did they tear through. Never did light pierce between splintered wood under this beastly being. Do you need me to help with, I asked, desperate, to get the beast out of my mind? You'll help with house chores and get him food, he answered, glancing at the garage door. His eyes flashed to mine as he stood. You must be tired, let me get you bedding. Where will I be sleeping? Smiling, he turned as the gnawing on the door ceased. There was only breathing, harsh, peppered with thought, with patience. 
Ralph turned back to me, smiling still. In the garage, of course. The only other bed is that cot. He made sure to expose his teeth as he spoke. It's why I give you those keys. One is to the front door, and the other to the garage. I'll be locking the door every night. You'll need those to get back inside. I lay in the cot with a flimsy blanket half drawn over me, and half pushed against the wall. The pillow raked of bad breath and old shoes. For that reason, I kept my head turned towards the ceiling. I stared at the bright orange garage light directly above the cot. I could hear the beast approach, but it never penetrated the light, as if it was caged within the darkness. The front doorbell rang, echoing softly in the hall. The door opened, people talking, a laughter here, chuckle there. The words were too quiet and became a rumbling noise beneath my thoughts. Mm. A growl rose in the corner. The beast felt my apprehension. Both it and I knew the only sort of people to ring an old man's doorbell at such an odd hour would be the police. I kept my muscles tense, tenser than before. The smell of the pillow was almost all forgotten as I strained to understand the rumbles. Above me the lights blinked, stealing my thoughts. Growls made from the depths of my damned soul grew in the dark. This sound dominated the room, and then the light went out. Clyde, came a husky voice inside my head. I sat up, rolling my legs over the bed. My hands cusped the blanket, pulling it from the wall to my body. I was so cold, colder when the voice spoke. Its words froze my body. The darkness stole my voice, so I whispered, Hello? Hello, it replied, mid-laugh. Say nothing more, my stomach lurched. The voices from the other room had disappeared. I strained to continue listening. Want to know what hell is like? The lights above me flickered back on. The monster stole back into the darkness. Those devilish eyes waited, taunted. They grew hard with want, with need. The light drew away as power. Momentarily, I was safe. The old man stood at the entrance, alone, one foot in the garage, another out. His hand still cupped the light switch. His eyes were old and withered, even more so in the light. Not quite time for something like that, I'm afraid. Not anymore, he spoke taut and brisk. He motioned me inside. You just had some visitors. They left, of course. My shoulders relaxed. I have some questions. I'd like you to join me for more tea. Maybe this time you'll finish yours. He chuckled as we made our way back to the same chairs, hot tea waiting. I'd like to know if you killed your wife, Ralph said as we sat in the kitchen. My hand touched the already prepared cup of tea. I wasn't in the mood for it, but my throat was tight and sore, and the only remedy was hot liquid, so I brought the cup to my lips. I thought you said the answer didn't matter, I muttered. Inhaling, he closed his eyes and sipped slowly slowly tasting something much different than what I tasted. He had to. My memories were getting in the way, clouding the tea. He smiled and set his cup back down. Things change. I believe I have the right to know if I'm harbouring a fugitive or not, he said and took another drink. I found myself copying him and tasting the hot, unpleasant liquid. That time it was easier to swallow. I closed my eyes and then took another drink. Then you answer me this, I retorted. My eyes burst open, staring hard at his old bloodshot purr, a mirror image of what mine must have looked like. What is this beast? Where did it come from? 
He held his cup between both hands and replied quickly, I'm not sure that you're ready to hear that. My hand clenched my cup. Faintly I hoped to crush the glass. I wanted broken shards to open up my palm and feel my lifeblood leak out, like hers did. I squeezed harder, but the cup kept its shape. Is there anything you can tell me? He raised both eyebrows, wrinkles exaggerating his long forehead. They bunched over each other. In due time, I'll tell you everything, but first, he said, and then his hand came to my cup and pressed it gently to my lips. Drink up. I finished my tea, and in no time at all, he poured more of the green liquid. Again, I drank. I looked down at the contents. My wife and I were sitting in the park. She was reading a book while I watched her, her slender form hidden beneath the soft blanket, curving around me. I blinked and she was gone. I did. I whispered, I couldn't say it, couldn't admit the murder, but he understood. Maybe he always knew. He gave a single nod as the monster scratched at the door. The old man looked at the sound inside. You need sleep. Tomorrow I'll have a list of things I'll need you to do. He paused, glanced over at the oversized teapot. I'll make sure tea is ready for breakfast. You'll have something else made for food, won't you? I asked. The corners of his lips twitched, folding and unfolding his fingers. He looked back my way. He gestured to the kitchen. There's food. My house is your house. I stood up and walked over to his fridge. He had some milk, bread and mayonnaise. The milk was expired, but the bread and mayonnaise were fine. I picked them up and smeared the white goop on the steel bread and ate. It wasn't much, but it was something. Do you have anything else? I asked as I finished. He laughed. I'm sorry, but there's nothing. How long do you plan on staying? Um, he waved me off before I could finish and walked up the stairs, leaving me to my isolation. Sleeping at the table? came a voice. My eyes peeled open, though I was still exhausted. I dreaded that garage. I was afraid of what would happen the next time the lights were off. That beast, whatever it was, Wherever it came from, wasn't natural. Maybe I should just sleep on the couch. No, the living room is too exposed to the front door. The cot is your best chance at hiding here. I implore you to lay on the cot. If it's the beast you're worried about, then keep the lights on. Those lights are unreliable, I said. He gave a single nod. There are candles and flashlights in the garage. Find them. Use them. You have power over the beast. As long as you have light, you hold control. He clapped his hands on his thigh and smiled. I must get some sleep, if you'll excuse me. He walked back upstairs. I got up from my chair and opened the garage door, switching on the light. My heart was beating hard in my chest. The shadows, though dispersed with the light, tickled across my skin like tiny claws. Intentionally leaving the door open, I walked inside, feeling eyes on me. I turned to a nearby cabinet and grabbed three flashlights, four unused white candles and matches before returning to the cot. The combination of the portable lights, the lights from inside the house and the bulb hanging from the ceiling made the garage gleam, but it wasn't enough. I clutched one of the flashlights tighter against my chest and closed my eyes. I tried mumbling a lullaby, but the words escaped me. I ended up singing a string of incoherent words until I fell asleep, though sleep didn't last long. Dreams became nightmares, 
and nightmares became sound. A crash shocked me awake. The door to the garage slammed shut. My eyes flew open. The lights flickered as the candles blew out. I clutched the flashlight tighter to my chest as I relit the candles. But no sooner had I done that did the light above me switch off and the flashlights went black. All I had were the candles and shadows danced violently around their wicks. Flicker. One candle blew out. Flicker. All candles flickered out. Darkness. The matches were still in my hand. I lit more. They blew out. I know you want to see it. That's why I'm here. The words pushed against my skull, splitting the insides of my brain. The sensation spread from my head to my neck, pulsating within my veins. Breath exhaled along my skin. I can see your heart. I know what you desire. No, I snapped, spit forming between my lips. The beast howled with laughter, nipping at my nails. The nails chipped and cracked. The pain was instant. Bits of nail fell this way and that. Some of the pieces tapped onto the flashlights and others bumped onto my leg. I cried out in pain, forcing my fingers away. The beast ignored it and continued on. You want freedom. But more than that, you want to die. I see that in your heart. You feel like you deserve to die. I killed my wife. I cleared my throat. Tears of pain dried as I spoke. I trailed off thinking of her. Those eyes. I couldn't stop staring at those grey eyes as she stared at me. Until they didn't. I pierced those eyes with our kitchen knife handle. I then cut up dinner with the blade afterward. And you're going to kill me. Silly human. You don't deserve death. You deserve me. I sat erect. The flashlights clanked in my lap, becoming lead weights and holding me in place. I clutched at the ends of the bed and tried to push myself to move. It didn't work. Something tapped on the wall, gliding over each board. It tapped, tapped, tapped impatiently. It stopped at the side door, the one in which I snuck into upon my arrival. On the other side, a new sound made itself known. The sound of growing wind, the warning of a storm to come. The wind howled against the garage door yanking and pulling at its old metal chains. The smell of blown out candles warmed my nose. The side garage door flung open. Winds blazed in, cried for attention. Outside the light dimmed in near complete darkness by the storm. The winds kept the door swinging open, banging against the outside wall. Light trickled in by chaotic and unpredictable rain. Leave if you want but you'll never get either of your desires, because now you are mine. I jumped from the cot and ran to the kitchen. I slammed the garage door shut and drew in a breath. Walking over to the table, I rested my head on it, too shocked and too tired to fight off sleep. But the garage door sprang open. All the lights in the kitchen were off, and the beast with all its suffocating glory breathed against my neck. I told you to sleep in the garage, came the old man's voice. You wouldn't listen to me, and now I've had to bring him into the house. You know how hard it is to get him back where he needs to be. I need to coax him, with you. Let it in, I murmured. Yes, of course, he snapped. How else will I teach you this lesson? The same strange urge I had with my wife rose up in my body, but I pushed it back. 
Like a drunk swallows vomit. And like a drunk who needs the vomit, I could only hold it back so long. I watched them walk down the steps and over to the teapot. He picked his cup up and filled it with tea. In the moonlight, the pouring tea glistened. I almost smelled it drifting up his nostrils, and like a drug my body craved, needed it. But I wasn't there for tea. I planned something else. I stood abruptly, and he turned. He watched me approach, letting our eyes speak a thousand words as I picked up the teapot and raised it in the air. You can kill me if you want to. What? I only have one precious memory left of my daughter, and it's going to be gone soon. All of them remain are their screams. I stepped away, lowering my weapon. I looked over his shoulder and into his cup. In the liquid, I could have sworn I saw a small girl with long brown hair being pushed in a swing by a younger version of Rolf. The image faded into a cloud of steam, and I knew it was gone forever, and then I understood. Please, he whispered. It'll move on to you now. In the briefest of moments, a clear thought rose over my head and told me not to kill him. But just like my wife, I couldn't stop myself. I struck his skull with a teapot. Boiling tea flew out, burning the old man and my hand. He cried ahead of the game. Then he fell, withered and broken to the ground. Emma had sailed sharply, but she can't stop herself from speaking. So, the old man's gone? What happened to the beast? Fiddles with her notepad and finishes another cup of tea. Her grandmother warned her about too much caffeine, and now she can feel it. Her heart speeds its beat, her breath quickens. In her cup, she sits beside her grandmother on the porch. They watch the setting sun. Maybe if you'd stop interrupting, you'd find out. She sucks in her breath, then attempts to slow the beat of her heart. That's enough tea. She places her cup of half-drunk liquid on the table and watches Clyde drop his eyes to the ground. Emma clears her throat and again taps a pencil fiendishly in her hand. Tap, tap, taps it against her notepad. She only stops when something shifts behind him. In the darkness, a conscious shadow, she catches her breath. Recognising what she see, he smiles. Don't mind the shadow, with a chuckle he adds. Just a part of me coming out. The beast had control of the light. Whenever I switched one on, another would go out. He toyed with me and I played along. I ran around the old man's house, turning on lights this way and that, and even went so far as to line up the flashlights and candles around the halls. I'm not sure why I didn't leave. It was as if something cemented me into the floor. I was waiting for the justice that I kept running away from. But I didn't want to find justice with the beast. I wanted the police prison. I wanted the safety of the known, yet still I stared. I made myself tea and thought about my day. I let my mind wander to different older memories, and then one by one they disappeared. They vanished like missing scenes in an old movie reel. Then, like all lights before this hour, each one went out. Standing from my spot I looked up at the light. Flicker. Flicker. Out. Just a matter of time until... You think the light will stop me? You keep running, and all I want to do is talk. I sat my tea down, but quickly brought it to my lips. I couldn't answer. I gulped hot sewage as I squinted through the darkness. My eyes locked under the beastly purr. You have been bad, haven't you? The voice echoed between my eardrums, 
against my skull. It made my brain ache. Like a hangover splitting me open. I brought my hands up and covered the pain by covering my ears. I thought if I could squeeze my skull, then maybe I could squeeze his voice out. I wrapped my fingers around themselves, wrapping around my earlobes. When the beast spoke, I squeezed tighter, but still he continued. So I tightened my grip until even the darkness was light. Can't hide forever. Not from hell. Not from me. Something about those words deflated whatever delusional hope I clung to. My hands fell loosely at my sides. I dropped to my knees to chill towel. There was a moment of silent self-loathing, and then the beast breathed in my ear. Its body became a thousand tiny claws, pricking me. Its teeth scraped upon my chest, and then a long, wet tongue licked along my neck. And you know the rest from the newspapers, I'm sure. The police apprehended me, didn't believe my story, and so I've been labelled crazy and put in the madhouse, Clyde continues. Emma crisscrosses her legs, then smooths out her skirt. Feeling of discomfort washes over her, and she can't tell whether it's the skirt wrinkles or if it's the way Clyde looks at her in silence. I know what the papers say, but I want you to tell me your story, she says. He smacks his lips, then glances at the other residents. Well, they said they found both my wife and the old man in a shallow grave behind my house, but I don't remember that. She straightens. Her left eyebrow flinches. She can't tell whether it's her grandmother on her, but she touches him in the shoulder. He pulls away. Embarrassed, she leans back and asks, But do you remember it differently? He shrugs. There's no other logical explanation. They don't want to hear my side. I've told the truth countless times, and yet you seem to be the only one remotely moved by it, or by the tea. Up above them, a clock strikes 7pm, the end of visiting hours. What few visitors remain slowly stand up and start to leave. Emma finishes another cup of tea despite herself. The liquid shows a fire. She and her grandmother are camping. She looks up from her cup. What do you mean by the tea? This can't be the same stuff you had in your story. It is. The beast never lets me go without it. She doubts this but says nothing. Her grandmother warned her about people like him. An argument is just asking for trouble. Still, it's content for her story. The readers will eat it up. She rolls her head back. Weariness tenses her shoulders, wears down the mascara on her eyelashes. She blinks rapidly, then looks back at her notepad. She's been tap tap tapping on the paper again. She stops tapping and directs her attention back to the tea, back to the warmth in her throat. Part of her detests it. Finally, full and fatigued, she decides it's probably best for her to leave as well. I think I'm fine with this, she says. Is there anything you would like to add? Oh no, he says with a smile. But before you leave, let's have another cup of tea. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our latest horrific tale. If you want to keep up to date with future episodes, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and like or follow our social media pages. You can also give the channel support by visiting our merchandise store and picking up some of our items. Please also take a moment to support our contributing artists who very kindly lend their talents to the show. Check out the links in the description on how you can do this. Well, that just leaves me to say, until next time my friends, keep it creepy, keep it horrific. <laughs>